two humorous nurses would like to acknowledge the true custodians of the land in which we record our podcast, the Yorta Yorta people. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and extend our respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders listening today. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. We are so excited for this episode to be sponsored by eNurse. eNurse is Australia's leading one-stop nurse shop. eNurse specialises in everything a nurse or nursing student would need to survive. From comfortable, stylish and keep you cool under pressure elite hair scrubs to handheld study guides, nursing equipment and even a travel coffee mug for those long commutes. eNurse will be your new favourite online shop for all things nursing. Head to www.enurse.com.au and use our code HUMOROUSNURSES for a cheeky discount. Nurses with Kelly and Jessica. The podcast that has a high pain threshold, but not that high. Welcome to Two Humorous Nurses, where we plan to give you funny, informal, conversational chat about all things nursing. Oh, hi. Hello. <laughs> first episode. Well, it's not my first episode. No, but first... No, I suppose it's not. You no. did stuff before. <laughs> my first <laughs> episode of this maternity leave. This maternity leave, yeah. <laughs> um... So I'm going to do a deep dive just to take the pressure off you having oh, to like do any work. <laughs> I've done nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've done a lot. Really? Yes. I'm so into this one. Um, I've literally, I've looked at the heading and I don't know anything about it. Nothing. I'm completely coming in blind. Good. That's how we like it. Okay. So it's about, um, like it's pretty confronting for like lots of reasons, but I think it's because it deals with women with infertility. Right. And... Um, there's like a little twist at the end. It's fucking piss me off so much. <laughs> Is it like a a really good movie with a really shit ending? No, or, I mean, or like it, is, <laughs> it is a shit ending, I guess, because the outcome isn't that great. And the reason she gets the not great outcome, like as in not a lot of jail time, is ironic. And I oh. will get to it because okay. it's like we won't ruin the end. Um, so this is a story about Donna Monticoni, and I've probably not said that right. right. Mon- Monticoni, anyway. She was a nurse at a fertility clinic in Yale um, who stole hundreds of vials of fentanyl over a five-month period in 2020. So, like, really recent. Ah. Um, so I don't know. You've obviously – you would have heard of Yale Hospital, like yeah, University yeah, Hospital. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. everyone's heard of it. Yeah. It's, like, a gold standard. I think – what did they call it in the – uh, in the thing, Ivy like a blue Le- ribbon. Yeah, Ivy, Ivy Yeah, like it's yeah. it's huge. The reputation is like yeah. huge, right? So in 2020, a number of patients um, that attended the Yale University Fertility Clinic, um, they had egg retrieval procedures with the most excruciating pain that you could imagine getting without any pain relief right. or anesthesia. So these women unfortunately were like, ignored and their pain was brushed off and Mm -hmm. they just were not heard at all. Most of them went to the clinic because they had heard that it was um, really good. Um, A lot of them went because they worked at Yale in um, quite interesting positions, which we'll get into. Or, like, some people even travelled to go there because they it, their doctors just said they're the best. Okay. Like, you won't get anything better. Um, but instead of getting what they sort of thought they would get, they were left feeling confused. And in a world of pain, 
So the reason I heard about this was I discovered a podcast called The Retrievals. Oh. And, yeah, <laughs> and it was by Susan Burton, sorry, Susan Burton, who's a writer and reporter and podcaster for the New York Times. And she had read an article in a Connecticut paper, which is where Yale is, detailing the experiences of these women. And she was, like, intrigued. And I guess when you're an investigative journalist, Ooh, investigative like, journalist ooh, yes. you're like, oh, yeah, I need to look into this. Yes. And as a woman, like, I think – if you if you're a per, if you're a woman that wants a child, mm. then I think you can understand even how more traumatizing it might be for someone who'd been through an excruciating experience, yeah. and it, what it turns out at the hands of a shitty nurse. Um, so she interviewed lots of the patients and had um, lots of really in-depth conversations and she read all of the transcripts from the court and she did all her job so I could do this <laughs> and <laughs> created a podcast called The Retrievals, which I highly recommend um, listening to and I'm literally sorry, just, just dropped her phone. phone. <laughs> Serious podcasters. Sorry. <laughs> Um, right, so these women were seeking fertility assistance for many reasons. They were getting older um, and they had had previous miscarriages and then have been able to conceive or they just couldn't conceive naturally. Some were in same-sex relationships. They were freezing eggs to be able to have cancer treatment. Um, they didn't have fallopian tubes. One woman had spent her whole life believing she didn't want to have children because she um her culture that she was from meant from eight years old as the eldest daughter she had to assist her mum in everything and she did most of the childcare, most of the cleaning and she was like, I never no, want to have kids. <laughs> and then when she met someone and wanted to have a family, couldn't mm. fall pregnant and she said the she believes that her words over the years were so powerful that oh. it's now preventing her from having a child. So she had this like real, like they all have a real desire to have children. That's yeah. why you go through this process. Yeah. Um, it's not something you take lightly. No, that's right. <laughs> like, <laughs> shit. Like, the process is difficult. So, you know, daily it's injections, expensive. daily, especially in America. <laughs> like, fuck. <laughs> um, daily blood tests, waiting on phone calls for levels, or if it's, you know, if you're waiting for the egg retrieval, you need to be ready to go as soon as they say your yeah. counts are high enough. Mm-hmm. There's hormones and mood swings. One woman said that, like, sometimes the wind would just make her cry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Your ovaries get bigger, your body changes, it swells. You spend your whole time wondering if you're going to have any eggs or what, and you feel like you're letting people down. And um, there's just a whole lot of emotion. Like, it's Mm. not something you do just for the fun of it. Um, So what is an egg retrieval? And I had to Google this because I had an assumption of what it was and it is absolutely not right. well, my assumption is probably your assumption. So, <laughs> so an ultrasound device is placed into the vagina to find the follicles on the ovaries. Um, and, I mean, if you've, only, if you've ever had an internal ultrasound, that's just annoying enough. Mm. Like I had to keep changing position because she couldn't find my ovary. Oh. I was like, awkward. <laughs> I know it's there. <laughs> like, um, follicles are the sacs on the ovary that contain an egg. And the whole process is designed to, like, find as many follicles and collect yeah. as many eggs. So to collect the eggs, they stick a long, thin needle into the ultrasound guide through the vaginal wall and into the follicles to then gently suck out the eggs using um, a technique called transvaginal ultrasound aspiration. 
Right. They're usually removed one at a time and generally it's usually very quick, relatively pain-free and over in about 20 to 30 minutes depending on how many follicles there are. Hang on. So they go through the, the vaginal wall. wall. They don't like go up and around. <laughs> <laughs> and I, Having seen the internal uh, body... It doesn't look like in the pictures, yeah, like they're not up and around. And so I, and I always wondered, like, how? <laughs> like, how would right. they get them? But I didn't assume a needle would pierce through the wall of your vagina and into, and into the, it. Right, no. So You've that alone, when mind. I Googled that, was like, oh, yeah. And this is my other question. You were saying relatively pain-free. It's so like normally yeah, right. when you have the pain relief, because normally you're given fentanyl and midazolam, that was the standard in there, you're a bit zonked. And you're on a high, right. and you really don't feel anything. Right. Generally, I'm speaking up, what you're putting down. Yes. Um, so the one patient that had was freezing her eggs prior to undergoing breast cancer th- chemo treatment, she'd already had a mastectomy and a few other procedures like biopsies and stuff like mm. that. So she felt like the egg retrieval would be like really simple. Like yeah. this is just another another, another biopsy, yeah. another you know, and had never had any discomfort other than you, what you would expect generally from but post the procedure. Yeah. Um, so she knew what it felt like to be under anaesthetic and she wasn't concerned at all. And she said that she'd been told that she would be receiving fentanyl midazolam for the pain relief and the light sedation. However, that wasn't the case. And she was in excruciating pain and she said that she felt every pierce of the needle <laughs> and she said she laid there and did it because she had no choice. God. All of them pretty much say the same thing. So, are they going in and out? <clears throat> yes. Of the yes. Wall? Yep. Mm. Mm, crazy, hey. Okay. Um, and I imagine it would be like a really fine needle, like really fine, because yeah, yeah. the egg would the be microscopic. Yeah. Um, a lot of the, well, not a lot, but a few of the patients that were interviewed actually said that they were surprised at the use of fentanyl because of its. Um, how, you know, fentanyl is part of the war on opiates at the moment mm. over there. And mm-hmm. one of the patients who is a neuroscientist who works in the area of addiction at Yale University, oh, part of the yes. hospital, said that she was actually really curious about the use of fentanyl and it intrigued her as being part of her um, procedure. Right, yeah. And so <laughs> when she had her procedure and was in excruciating pain... She was like, hmm, right. She was like, maybe I'm immune to fentanyl, <laughs> which she was I don't not. Think that would be my first thought. I'd no, like- well, actually, I'll get to what her actual first thought was. But afterwards, when she was trying to reconcile it in her brain, yeah. she kept saying, maybe I'm just one of those people She's immune like to gaslighted fentanyl. Gaslighted herself. Yeah, they all <laughs> did. Yeah, I'm such yeah. a sook. Yeah, everyone I else was gaslighting cope. them. So I can't cope. Another patient explained that how they walk into the room prior um, and that she was everything was explained to her as to what was going to happen, what the medications would do, that she wouldn't feel any pain. Um, and she said that they started the procedure and the pain was so excruciating and it was instant. She said she told them that she didn't think the pain meds were working and that she could feel everything and every stab of the needle. Ugh. Her blood pressure started to rise and she was sweating profusely and she told them to stop. She couldn't take it anymore. She said she recalled them giving her more fentanyl and she continued to tell them that it wasn't making a difference. 
She said, I remember one nurse holding my hand and telling me it was going to be okay and another nurse putting a cool towel on my forehead. Um, another patient recalls the nurse standing at her, soldier, at her shoulders, wiping away her tears and keeping her still so the doctor didn't slip with the needle, telling her that she could get through it. She said she was so excited prior as she had 24 follicles and was going to get so many eggs, but during the procedure she felt she was letting everybody down if she stopped. Uh, She said how she felt trying to stay so still on the table with her legs in the syrups, and she said at times her hips thrusted off the table, but she couldn't stop it. And she was like, what do I, what could I do? I wanted the eggs to be retrieved. Oh, my God, that is awful. Yeah. The patient, and when they were telling their stories, because these, they actually, it was the real people. Like, right. Often in podcasts, it's yep. like voiceover. Yep, yep. And you could just hear in, in their, their voice, voice, like, it mm. was heart wrenching, like, listening to them. Fairly traumatic. Yeah. Um, all of the patients um, basically kept saying that they felt they had to get through it, they had to bear the pain, and it just seemed normal. No one around them seemed, just, yeah. like, disturbed by their pain levels. They all had said how the staff around them ignored them and when they were saying how much pain they were in, they were told, you're being given the maximum amount. I've given you the maximum amount. Mm. One patient, the neuroscientist who works in addiction, said that during the procedure she had a moment of thought that the nurse was stealing my fentanyl. She said, and this is her after she said in the haste, because they've all had midazolam as well. Obviously, mm. that's not enough to kill. The, midazolam doesn't kill pain. It yeah. just is a bit of a. Makes you, um, makes you sometimes makes you sleepy, which isn't yeah. going to do anything if you're in excruciating no. pain. But she said she, <laughs> when she's thinking back on it later, she thinks she recalls, and she said it probably was the midazolam, but a line going from the from the bag into her but then another line going from like fentanyl into her pocket (laughs) she's like it wasn't that wasn't the case but her first thought was that a nurse is stealing my fentanyl because she said I don't it didn't seem she said it seemed so obvious to me that I wasn't getting it yeah um because she really knows what fentanyl well she knows yeah what the drugs opiates do to the body like she literally studies it yeah she studies the effects of it on her brain on not her brain, but on brains. Oh, yeah. um, interestingly, I haven't put this in my notes, but interestingly she went because she was the one that said she thought she was immune to it, but then when she went back she realised in her chart that she'd had fentanyl for a um, – she'd either it was like either a dislocated joint or something mm. and they had to be relocated and she was given fentanyl. So she's like, I know it actually works. It works. Yeah. yeah. Um, all of the women created a story as to why they had pain. Most commonly it was I'm immune to fentanyl or I had a lot of eggs so it just hurt more. Um, but the stories just weren't true. Um, the story was they didn't get any painkillers and they were having needles pierced through their vagina while they were completely sober. <laughs> um, oh, that makes me feel so uncomfortable. Fuck. I know. And one of the ladies actually was saying that she, that she joined – Um, Because this was during COVID, she joined an online support group for the women, not a support group, like an online fertility group. Mm. And when the, for Yale, and when the women were saying, you know, I'm getting for my egg retrieval, that lot of the women on that support group online were saying to them, don't believe what they say, it hurts. So she was saying, when I went in, I went in expecting to be in extreme pain. And she said, and when I told my doctor that, 
when he asked how it was and she said, I wanted to tell him that it was like the most excruciating thing I ever mm-hmm. experienced. She said, I, he, she said, I knew to expect that there would be pain, but I didn't expect it to be that bad oh. because obviously a lot of those women had been in that five month period who had literally had not had pain relief. And so yeah. whilst the clinic might tell you it's painless, mm. they're all saying it's not. Sharp scratch. Yeah, sharp <laughs> scratch, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that uh, came out of this, and I, I sort of left this out because I'm obviously I'm not covering everything, but when you talk about fertility treatment, you don't talk about it in any way other than being a positive experience if you have a live baby at the end. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these women didn't mm. get a positive outcome. Right. A lot of the eggs that were retrieved during this time uh, didn't make it or they were unusable mm. or probably because they were in a world of pain while they were being collected and that has mm. to play an effect like on your hormones. Or something. And, yeah. <clears throat> and even just the process of retrieving it, like how can you retrieve it from somebody whose muscles like are all, like there has to be some yeah. part of that. Yep. Um, and so, well, yeah, exactly, you got to wonder. One of the patients said she was so desperate for a child she went through eight egg retrievals and all of them were as excruciatingly painful as the last. Oh, mm. um, who was this Donna? Well, she was born in 1971 and grew up in New York State. She came from a Catholic family of three siblings. Um, she got her nursing license in her 40s, which we'll get to a bit later. But her life was super complicated. She was a divorced mother of three children. She, her ex-husband was extremely abusive and often threatened her and her children. One of the quotes that they talk about in the podcast is that he would often say to the um, kids, like, the tooth fairy is going to come tonight because he would beat them. And Holy yeah. heck. According to police reports, he denied all accusations of abuse. However, the children say they were scared of him. DCS had been involved heavily. Family court visits um, were frequent and multiple uh, and it was expensive and extremely stressful. Donna saw herself as the stable parent um so she turned to fentanyl to ease her pain because life was just really hard shit for her at that time um she basically removes the fentanyl from the vial and replaces it with saline countless Mm. times um confessing that when she did it she punched it around the septum of the vial and i assume they're in like plastic um ampules like the saline ampules Um, up to four or five times a day, stating that she always used a clean needle and she always used sterile saline to replace it with and that she'd been doing it for five months. Um, (laughs) She estimated, she is estimated to have tampered with about 75% of the fentanyl in that clinic during that time. Yeah. She told... Was she at every egg retrieval? Like were there some women who were having good experiences? Like if she's only had 75%. No, but because it was getting put back into stock. So she might not uh, be present right. at some of the egg retrievals yeah, yeah, yeah. that people were having pain at. Yeah. Um, which brings up a lot of questions, which I'll talk about later okay. as well. Sorry, I'm, I'm butting in. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> One of the patients was actually talked about how Donna was the nurse who helped her apply for it through their insurance to be able to get it for the procedure in the first place uh-huh. and that she often dealt with the scripts and she often collected the, the fentanyl. It wasn't. <laughs> Very well monitored, to be honest. Um, she told the detectives after she confessed that um, all about her financial problems and her protective orders with her ex and the stress and how she literally felt so much better after telling the detectives that 
like the load had been lifted off her. Mm. Um, so she was – it was all came about – it all collapsed on her because in October 2020, an anaesthetist noticed that a cap came off the vial way too easily and it set a motion, mm. uh, a bit of an investigation. So that was discovered on a Friday and by the Wednesday, Donna was in custody being questioned. She initially – Denied the allegations. However, she failed a drug test. Oh. So she <laughs> confessed. So what, did they just go and drug test everybody in the clinic? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't go into that oh. in the in the um, podcast. But, yeah, I imagine. Well, here's the thing. On the Friday when it was discovered, over the weekend, uh, Donna <laughs> returned 175 vials, which she had extracted fentanyl from, and disp- she literally went out into her car and got a plastic bag full of 175 vials and then disposed of it in a sharps container. Dickhead. Yeah. So <laughs> the the podcast was Don't like, do it, in it your was own like workplace. she wanted to be discovered. Yeah. So whether it was like a bit of a cry for help or um, she had kept them at her house and was like trying to slowly return them back into mm. the inventory. How do you get 175 vials of, like, fentanyl without anyone noticing? It's beyond. Did you know that it is 11 weeks, 77 days, 1,848 hours approximately until the 25th of December? And we all know that that is my favourite day of the year, Christmas Day. So not only should you be putting your Christmas trees up now, yes, it might be October, but who says you have to wait? And watching those Hallmark movies, you should be getting online and going to www.enurse.com.au. Their fun range of Christmas scrubs are available online now. You will be slaying your way to work all the way to Christmas. So get those jingle bells jingling and head over to www.enurse.com.au. Use our code HUMOROUSNURSES, H-U-M-E-R-U-S, NURSES, for a cheeky 10% discount. E-Nurse and two humorous nurses wish you a merry, merry Christmas. Um, Donna was heavily involved in many of the victims' cases. She was often the nurse that they called for updates, plans, um, and some couldn't believe that she was actually mm. involved. Now, the families were made aware of what was happening by a letter. I've left some of this out because it's just not relevant to us, but from a letter from the hospital sent something out basically saying that there had been um, issues with the fentanyl being tampered with, and if you believe that you're involved... Let us know. But a lot of the patients skipped over it and didn't pay any attention. But a letter was sent from the Law Enforcement AM Authority basically telling them they were likely to be victims, likely to have been victims in a federal crime, a criminal case. Um, this was in the January of 2020, so a few months later, and they named the nurse involved. Oh. Mm. So a lot of the families obviously were like, I know that name. Because they yeah. dealt with them. Yeah. Some of them didn't know, so they were Googling. Um, one of the patient's husband was like, oh, that's sus. She became a nurse in her 40s. Like, why? <laughs> or did she live in a town with well water because they were worried whether they whether she could be trusted to have used saline to put back in? Did they use well water? Right. Like, uh, what, I don't know what the relevance is of that, but I guess <laughs> if you're in America, you know. Um, Let us know. And how could she even sit there and watch women in pain on the table while they yeah. knowing why they were in pain and, yeah. and not advocating. Um, 
one of the patients was a criminal defence attorney for people who do crime, uh, drug crimes, who understood that there's always a reason why. Like, why did she steal the fentanyl and why did the assault happen to me? Like, what was the reason? And Mm. she said she felt she needed to give Donna a reason for what she did so she could feel better about being a victim to such an assault because she said she felt so assaulted by what was happening. And she said, I really wanted to make it less personal. I wanted to make it like Donna didn't do it to her, but rather she had a bigger need and a justification for the assault on her. So, like, she needed the fentanyl. For whatever reason. She said she understood addict behaviour and she, in order for her to accept being a victim, it had to be a bigger reason. Yeah, it wasn't personal. Yeah. So what was Donna's story? Donna had a lot of supporters (laughs) around her. So when she was, once she was, had found out, she um, was obviously terminated from the hospital and she went into rehab almost straight away. Mm -hmm. Um, The people in rehab described her as a devoted mother, a good friend, as generous and tenacious and really well-trusted. A lot of them wrote letters to the court in support of um, Donna. Um, Her parents wrote letters, her friends, her family, um, and her parents said that they noticed their daughter had been starting to break, but Donna kept telling them that she was fine, but clearly she wasn't, and they were devastated and angry at what she had done. Um, The main problems identified by all of her supporters was that her relationship with her ex-husband was their biggest trigger Um, and there were many reports of her ex-husband's actions of aggression and humiliation Um, and she was always on alert for the next explosion while trying to be a good mother and protect her children and also work to support them. Mm. Um, Donna also wrote a letter to the judge. When I say judge, she didn't have... It wasn't a trial. It was a sentencing hearing. She pled guilty, so instead of going to trial, she just went to a sentencing hearing. So this judge has something I learned in a sentencing hearing, she has the luxury of literally choosing. So the maximum sentence would have been like five years. So she can hear all sides of the argument. She can hear from Donna's Mm -hmm. defence. She can hear from the prosecution and then she can literally decide whatever she wants. So she heard, she read a lot of letters from family and friends and supporters. She read a letter from Donna and she read a letter from lots of the patients and Mm. victims. Um, So in Donna's letter, she explains that she started to use fentanyl during covid Um, Her ex-husband took the children for a visitation in March of 2020. He had been sick and the the kids called her and said that he was still sick and he was struggling to breathe. He had ended up, he ended up in hospital for over a month with COVID um, and was really sick. She was mad that he had exposed the children and put them all in danger. Um, When he came out, he wanted to see them again and she refused for him to see the children after his admission until he showed proof that he wasn't contagious. It was the start of COVID, so obviously everyone was super scared mm. and really not understanding yeah. of what um, COVID was. Yeah. Um, he took her to family court attempting to get full custody because he was denying, she was denying him access. Yeah. Um, she was overwhelmed and felt that she would never be free of um, this behaviour or this trauma. Um, it just meant more money, more time off work, and the stress was too much. She succumbed to using fentanyl at work. Um, previously she used opiates when she had a foot injury and knew that fentanyl will help calm her mind and allow her to focus on what she needed to do. She told the judge in the letter that she felt trapped and stuck in a spinning cage and unable to get out. Um, nurses that worked with her described her as authoritative, attentive. Um, she seemed to genuinely care. Um, she didn't really like to be, and then there was like the flip side. She didn't really like to be touched. She was cold. She wasn't empathetic. Um, but 
no one really had anything negative to say. They right. all knew what she'd been going through with her partner and at home and they all supported her. You know what her. she should have done? Knocked the husband off. Would <laughs> <laughs> have solved all their problems. <laughs> um, Give him a whack of things. Exactly. <laughs> be a whole different story (laughs) (laughs) this is who kill instead um they had an online zoom meeting that was hosted i think that was held by um the law authorities right to and the victims got to attend basically just to outline the nature of the case against donna um the victims initially it wasn't supposed to be a opportunity for people to tell their stories it was just come on we're going to explain to you what why she isn't going to trial and what, yeah. you know, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. But, and the addiction um, neuroscientist basically said it was like, first of all, everyone was shocked by how many Zoom pe- people were on the Zoom call yeah. to start with when you start to realise you weren't the only the one. The yeah. um, And then he, she was like, even though it wasn't meant to be a storytelling time, <laughs> <laughs> there, was like, there was like once one woman spoke, it was like everybody couldn't stop. Um, they ended up all all that wanted to ended up getting to tell their stories, um, and it was like shocking. They said mm. that they literally all felt like they were all, all had gone through the same thing. Yeah. And then that addiction um, neuroscientist basically was like, "This it can't all be on Donna." Like, mm. why would none of us at some point? Not every woman that comes in there is crazy. Yeah. Like, why weren't we believed? Yeah. yeah. Um, they were also told that they could have some input into the sentencing trial by writing their opinions to the judge about how they would like to see Donna sentenced. Mm. So the addiction neuroscientist felt super strongly that Donna needed rehabilitation support and that jail time wasn't the answer. Um, she wrote a letter that didn't minimise her experience that she um, had gone through but expressed her understanding of addiction and addiction behaviours. Mm. She felt very strongly that Yale also had a responsibility to face the women they ignored and minimised the pain of and that seeing the number of possible victims, uh, almost 200, not all of them could be lying or crazy or making it up. So why would they continually so, ignore yeah, like What about all the other people in the room? And Donna wasn't in the room of every one of those women. Like Donna wasn't in her room. So yeah. n- like it's not like it was only Donna's only patients. Donna, yeah. Um, so the sentencing hearing was scheduled for May 2021 um, and the patients could attend online or in person. Her parents and a friend were present in the room um, and there was plenty online. There was only a few um, patients, victims in the courtroom. The judge stated that she'd read the brief and that she hadn't made a decision on Donna's sentencing yet. Um, she isn't there to determine Donna's guilt or innocence, just that just her sentence, Mm. um, which could be as much as five years in prison. Donna's defence is that her extraordinary family circumstances, which actually holds a lot of legal Mm. weight in these sentencings, um, and the judge was obligated to take that into account, her family circumstances. So if Donna went to prison, then her ex-husband would almost certainly get get custody. Mm. And the judge needed to consider if that was good or a safe Mm. outcome for her children. She said that she had read all the character reports for family and friends the rep- and the police reports with the accounts of all the ex-husband's behaviours. Um, the judge states that it was such a breach of trust and a real, like a very serious offence. Um, and Donna's defence said that 
Donna accepted full responsibility for her actions. Um, one of the victims, however, felt that she wasn't remorseful, that she only spoke to the judge about how she feared for her children's safety, that she needed to be there for them, and she didn't actually mention the pain of the women that had suffered at her fentanyl use. Um, she, This particular <clears throat> patient went into this with some empathy for Donna and she said by the time she left this sentencing hearing, she had none and she was very, like she was angry at at the actual sentence. um, More worried that she'd got caught. Yeah, so this. she was speaking. Yeah, so this woman um, who, who, um, I'm talking about, she's the one that believed that her words were the reason why she couldn't have a baby. Oh, right, yeah. And she actually did fall pregnant from the fertility treatment but Mm. the baby um, passed away at 17 and a half weeks and she had to deliver the baby Mm. because she was given the option of like a termination Mm. or not termination, like a take out and a – or to deliver it and she said I needed to see that dead child for it to feel real to me and so she said she chose to deliver because they explained to her the procedure to remove it from her body would may break it up. And so she wouldn't see a whole, a whole fetus. Oh, so she chose to deliver it. And she said it was like she had to do that for yeah. herself. So she said the fact that her children, like Donna's children, were the reason why it was her only defence was, mm-hmm. like, ironic. This is the part that, like, tipped that patient over the edge. Donna mentioned that she was also a fertility patient herself, um, mm-hmm. that she her three children were che- were conceived through IVF, um, which led to her to work in the nursing of area. She, uh, Sorry, led to her to work as a nurse in that area of fertility. That's why she took up nursing in her 40s. <sighs> she had literally been through the same procedure that they went through multiple so she knew times. that it wasn't mm-hmm. going to hurt like that. Yeah. Like she'd been through it probably pain-free, pain-free. with drugs on board. <laughs> um, this shocked Almost everyone, when that lady was talking, because she was in the courtroom at the time, the um, neuroscientist was in the courtroom, she had to go. She said the everyone on Zoom that had their cameras on, she said it was like their faces just dropped. Mm. She said even though you couldn't hear anyone because everyone was muted, she said it was like an audible like gasp in the room. Yeah. She said you could feel everyone around you just be like, you know what we go through. Like yeah. you literally understand every part of fertility mm. treatment mm-hmm. but you got a positive outcome yep. and you fucked it up. And like she's like that's when she was like, nah. this is yeah. hard. Mm. Yeah. Um. So like that the judge basically – said then that the breach of trust also then turned to emotional violence mm. on these fertility mm-hmm. patients because she understood that mm. experience. Yeah. So her sentence. <laughs> lay it, lay it down. The judge is very understanding oh, of yes, uh, Donna's sure. family situation. So she was sentenced to four weekends in prison, alternating. Weekends. Weekends. <laughs> Remember, though, this is a white-collar crime and in Connecticut, which is a wealthy Mm. town and she's white, sorry, state, state, 
but Yale, I guess, what town's Yale in? I don't know. But it's a it's a wealthy, and she was she lived in a wealthy area. Her family's Catholic. She's white, mm, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, um, she was sentenced to four weekends in prison, <laughs> alternating weekends due to custody arrangements with her husband, and she would be released on time by the bailiff to go and pick up her children on a Sunday. She was also on a period of house arrest and three years supervised release with mandatory substance abuse treatment and regular drug testing. And her nursing licence yes. cancelled, well, hopefully. Yeah, I read somewhere, I, I read multiple times that she had lost her nursing licence mm. and that she couldn't nurse again. So I'm yeah, hoping that's the case. Um, and that basically... You know, a couple of victims were like Donna's status as a mother protected her Mm. um, and motherhood is what brings them all here in the first place and they all want what she has. Oh, that's horrible. Um, Apparently she (laughs) has done very well in rehab. (laughs) Good on her. Mm. (laughs) Um, So I also found something as a bit of a side note that the Drug Enforcement Agency investigated the Yale Fertility Clinic and found – Sorry, they identified 685 separate occasions in which the record-keeping requirements of the Controlled Substances Act were allegedly violated by Yale in that five-month period. The DEA's audit of Yale Fertility Centre's inventory of controlled substances revealed discrepancies of 165 units of controlled substances, including the vials of fentanyl, ketamine and midazolam. The investigation also found that Yale failed to maintain an initial inventory, failed to keep a record of destruction of controlled substances, was unable to readily produce um, a E222 form, which is a requirement for records of purchase and the sale of Schedule uh, Two controlled substances, and they were forced to pay <laughs> $308,000. Which I don't think is a lot of money for a very expensive <laughs> hospital. <laughs> oh, but so they just like were ordering it, and, like no one was paying the any want. attention to. What I read was going somewhere, on. like I did read somewhere um, in an article, which I had painstakingly saved all these links to articles, and then my computer died and nothing oh. saved, <laughs> and I was like, oh. And I tried to get back into the. New York Times article, but you can only access it so many times for free. (laughs) I was like, do I pay the one dollar to like read this? (laughs) But I did read that someone had said about the um that, you know, because like obviously it was asked in court like why was there no double checking and why was there not but I believe like if there's three nurses and a doctor in a room, why is do they just think that everybody is it's immune sort of to like, fentanyl? But how could you go for like a long time with nobody really complaining of pain, and, and then, then all, all of a sudden, sudden Donna rocks you up, know, <laughs> starts stealing it all. Donna's life gets poof, and she's I like, "Oh, I, I can I fix can't, this." Like, I think I could make sense of it if she wasn't hadn't been in the room with them. You know, like if she's has yeah. an addiction and she's stealing the fentanyl, but. Like she's not with that patient. Yeah. I think I could make more sense of that. But it yeah. seems like it's really not it, right that she's there holding their hand. Yeah. Knowing like, oh, exactly why. It's 
Okay. So, um, and I didn't write this in the script because I didn't want to go too in depth, but um, anyway, I'll tell you. But one of the <laughs> patients was a trauma surgeon who worked at Yale as well. Right. And she literally said to the nurse giving her the fentanyl, you haven't given me fentanyl, you've given me saline. Oh. And the nurse was like, oh, I've given you 25 mics. And she's like, no, you didn't. I give fentanyl all the time Mm. and you have not given me fentanyl. And so she gave her more and she's like, you've given me saline again. I can taste saline in my mouth. Mm. I, You haven't given me fentanyl. And she was like completely ignored and she was in so much pain afterwards that she ended up in the ED at Yale with her colleagues and she said one of the nurses that was looking after her who she'd been the attending doctor on Mm. only days prior did not recognize her because she was in such extreme pain and heard her basically say that you know we've just got another drug addict (gasps) because she said I was I was unrecognizable the amount of pain that I was in post-procedure and she's like, no one listened. And she's like, and I don't think Yale's been held accountable for that. Yeah. But like. Only the drug, like the DEAs. Yeah, just for discrepancies, 300, like $300,000. Wow. Like, but that's like one nothing. Stay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'll just bill a few more yeah. for like cuddles with their yeah. newborn baby, $10,000. Like, yeah. <laughs> wow, I can't. I really it's too much, can't isn't it? fathom other than that yeah knowing that she had been through this procedure she knew what it was like to yep want a baby so bad when i got to that part of the podcast i was cooking in the kitchen like i was and i literally went oh my god like and i stopped what i was doing because i was like that's what and i was sort of listening to bits of it back when i was typing this up over the last few days it's a it's a really good podcast actually and i was just like holy shit like she knew, mm. but I guess when you when you push to your limit and you like are addicted to addicted, something, yeah. or you, you know, like you know that you, she's not in control of what she's doing, but That's at the same time, I could not. And I think about like how I advocate for patients with pain now. I know, and I'm, I'm like, take the- more. <laughs> what are you Do doing? You- take more Tarzan. Whenever like- we've got palliative. <laughs> Tell the doctor. I'm like, just give them. Like, if they can have it hourly and they're in pain, why don't we just give it? Like, I know, I always say to the family, especially if they're unconscious, do you think they're in pain? <laughs> do you think they might be in pain? Like if that if that patient's rolling around in the bed and they're, like, palliative, yeah. we're, not gonna, we're not doing this. No. No, let's give them something. And you give oh, them the morphine we? is not going to kill them. Like, stop. I know. I think the doctors stop. think that too. Like they're very, very reluctant to mm. bloody give you anything worth having. Imagine like in our theatre where we work, imagine firstly if a patient was screaming out in pain, no no shade to Barb because I love her, the manager, but she'd be in there telling them to be quiet. She'd be like, <laughs> why is this patient so noisy? <laughs> like someone give them something. Yeah, what's going like, on here? <laughs> like I just, I couldn't imagine. And I've worked in a theatre yeah. with patients that are alert. Yeah. While we do things. Yeah. And you know, like this sort of um, reminds me of like the marina procedure. Mm. Not that I've had one. But well, I had mine you, under general. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a you, sook. Like people, no, you're not a sook. No. 
People have it in the chair and it's awful. And they what? pass out from the pain and all of that sort of thing. I just remember when I was pregnant and she had to stick a 22-gauge Foley catheter into my very tight closed cervix at 32 weeks because that's how they had to induce me. <laughs> and I'd literally, like 10 minutes before, told her that I didn't want a catheter too early and she was setting up the legs. And I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I've got to put a catheter into your cervix. I was like, wrong hole. <laughs> She's like, oh, has no one told you how we're doing this? I was like, give me some drugs. She's like, I can't, you're too sick. Ugh. And so when she's like, oh, your cervix is very tight, I was like, why are we doing this? So of I can't it's imagine. Tight. I'm not like, ready to have this baby yet. I know. <laughs> I can't imagine what it must be like to have like something stabbed into your vaginal wall. Yes. I mean, you know Multiple what it's like when times. like a dick hits you the wrong way. <laughs> like, like. I want to hope your dick's a bit bigger than your <laughs> tiny needle. <laughs> but, yes. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. Imagine a man, if there was a man on that oh. table having his ball pierced, oh, they the would have, like, lost ask. their shit. Who was, like, who was the first one to, like, bring it up? The anaesthetist when he oh, when right. the cap come off the oh, fentanyl, okay. like, that super was, easy. He, it wasn't was, because anyone was in pain. It was because he opened the fentanyl and thought, why did that come off so easy? Because she'd been piercing the whole, the top of it right. multiple times. It just And then once they sent out the letter then there were people started to Yeah, people well the um well people had made complaints and stuff mm. as well. But nothing had Like how like, many com- like how many complaints does it take? I know. Ridiculous. It's crazy. America's crazy. I know. <laughs> and I just think about how much money they would have paid to have needles shoved into the vagina. Yeah. They probably paid for that fucking fentanyl as well. They would have paid. They would, they would have, have paid, paid for every for single <laughs> thing. All those three nurses and the anaesthetist and the bloody. Oh, give, the, give them back. And I, some of them didn't even end up with a baby. Like that's the worst part yeah. as well. And um, I'm sure there would be like some PTSD and because one like lady awful. was like that she was in a same sex relationship. She was like, if I don't do this, if I don't put up with having these egg retrievals, we can't have a baby. Mm. Like it's all on me. She's like, I'm letting everybody Everyone down. Did. Yeah. And that weight of like Yeah, all you this... already feel like a shit person. Like you can't yeah. do the one thing women are meant to do. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget, if you want to hear more of me, go and rate me five stars <laughs> on the podcast <laughs> listening platform you're hearing us on right now. Also, give us a follow on Instagram at Two Humorous Nurses Podcast. Um, and you can jump into our Facebook group, which is pretty boring to be honest, but if we get more people, um, it might be more fun. It might. Might be. <laughs> uh, just search up Two Humorous Nurses Podcast on Facebook. Um, and you can send us an email as well with your suggestions and stories to hello at twohumorousnurses.com. Bye. Bye.